I'm Caesar, one of the pastors here and also the pastor for Celebrate Recovery. Uh, it's a blessing to be here with you this morning. And Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Um, you know, as uh, I'm, I'm glad with all the, the presents and all that stuff, I'm glad that's done. But I am still excited about Christmas and, you know, merchants and all of them, they move on. But we are still in the season of Christmas. And so uh, I thank God for God's amazing grace that continues to remind me that, um, that he's indeed Emmanuel for me. And so, uh, you know, I've often said that, you know, I'm, I'm thankful uh, when I look at my life uh, that God is always present. So, uh, um, so I thank God for Christmas. Um, also, I am uh, the pastor for Celebrate Recovery. This is usually where we do our worships on Thursday nights. And uh, just a little bit about Celebrate Recovery. Uh, Celebrate Recovery, I know a lot of people think, well, this is for people who are struggling with alcoholism or they're, they're struggling with chemical dependency. But we we do celebrate recovery for life issues. So if you are addicted to life, celebrate recovery is a good place to come to. Uh, we use the 12 steps and celebrate recovery as an opportunity to, to look at our life issues, to look at why we do the things we do. And, um, and I'm thankful that we have a response to all of the things that we face in this life and not just a response, but a spiritual response. And I've often said um, about celebrate recovery, is that, you know, we, we identify our demons, but in Celebrate Recovery, we also identify our higher power as Jesus Christ. And I just feel that that's so, so important to do. Uh, if you come on, on, uh, on a Thursday night, we'll have small groups. We, we have a meal before, and we have a small group. And in those small groups, there's chemical dependency groups for men and both for women. And then there's life issues groups, and then there are groups that are resulting for uh, loss pain resulting from loss, and then uh, a group for um, adults who have dysfunctional families or and, and, and all of those things, so we have small groups for that. We also have step studies, and the step studies are really designed to use the 12 steps and the eight principles that we use and to use that and to identify the stuff that we have in our lives, to share that in a small group of people who we all study the 12 steps together. Um, to bear witness to what we deal with in our lives, and we share it in community. And I've often said the 12 steps, when we do the step studies, is a place where we really get an opportunity to gain real healing uh, in our lives because we not only get to tell our story, but we also have the opportunity to have those who care about us bear witness to our story, and in that we get to experience God's amazing grace. Also, we have Celebration Station, and we also uh, have the Landing, which is for for high school kids, and Celebration Station for uh, the children. And I've often said that if there's somebody who's struggling with addiction and family, everybody struggles with addiction. And so I'm grateful that we have a response for the whole family and for everyone to come. So. I want to share that information with you because as the new year begins, as, as different things arise, I want you to know that Celebration, um, Celebrate Recovery is a resource to deal with our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. Um, also, if you come on Thursday nights, uh, usually I do a lesson one night, and then we'll have a testimony the next night. And every Thursday that I do a lesson, I get to tell a joke. So 
And we got small groups for that because my jokes are, ne- they're, they're like miss or win. It's either feast or famine. It's either laughter or I'm getting laughed at because the joke is so bad. So anyway, I got a joke for you today. <laughs> Here it goes. <clears throat> a mother went to wake up her son for church one Sunday morning. And when she knocked on the door, she said to him, she, he said, I'm not going. Why not? Why not, his mother asked. I'll, I'll give you two good reasons, he said. One, they don't like me, and two, I don't like them. And his mother replied, I'll give you two reasons why you will go to church. One, you're 47, and two, you're the pastor. <laughs> okay, that one, that, at the park, right? Okay. All right, and this is my last joke. By the time Bobby arrived, the football game had already started. Why are you so late, asked his friend. I couldn't decide between going to church and going to the football game, so I tossed a coin, said Bobby. But that shouldn't have taken too long, said his friend. Well, Bobby replied, well, I had to toss it 35 times. Talking about getting the answer you want, right? (laughs) Well, as we prepare for uh, our message, I want to frame our our message uh, from this particular passage that's found in Genesis, the 12th chapter, 1 through 8. And will you prepare your hearts now as we listen for this word from God? The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you great. I will make you a great into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there, and Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah and Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So build an altar there to the Lord who has appeared to him. From there he went towards the hill east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Will you think with me for a few minutes on this thought? Living boldly, living boldly, in the promise of God. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your amazing grace that meets us once again in this most holy place. God, we thank you that your grace is more powerful than the sin that seeks to separate us from you. And God, we're thankful that you are here once again. So God, we surrender this time to you. This is your time. This has always been your time. 
And so, God, we surrender this time to you, asking now that you would rescue me from me and that you would rescue all of us from ourselves. We pray now that you would hide us behind your cross. We might see you lifted up and glorified. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy and acceptable in your righteous sight. And then, God, we will be mindful in all things to give you all praise, honor, and glory. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was growing up, I loved watching the 1960s syndicated rerun or show Star Trek that began with the main character, Captain James T. Kirk's captain log, and it basically said this. It said, space is the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its five-year mission to, to explore strange new planets, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. I used to love watching Star Trek, and I used to love that opening scene when the Enterprise used to go across the screen, and I couldn't wait to see, to, to see Captain Kirk and his crew take on the next big thing. I think one of the reasons I like this show and one of the reasons that, that that statement was always meaningful to me is because it always held out hope and new horizons for new possibilities. I can say as a person who likes hope, I am always leaning towards new possibilities. I like this show because no matter, no matter the situation or circumstance, no matter what it was that they were faced with, the mission the mission that they were called to, they always stayed on course and they always boldly went wherever their exploration was leading them. Yes, as fun as this show was, I think I connected to the metaphorical message that it was sending because deep inside I have a desire. I have a desire to always seek new possibilities, new promises new ways to live out God's, to, to new ways to live out my God-given purpose in this life so that God's grace can be made known in this world. I guess in a sense what I have come to believe is that there is more to this life than meets the eye and that if I'm going to discover it, then I must be ready to boldly go where God is calling me to go. However, however, as much as I like the statement for the possibilities it holds, I must admit that even as a man of faith, that there is a dark side to my nature. And that as courageous as I would hope I could be, I must admit that I am scared to death of losing all that is precious to me. So as a result, I'm always tempted to act with my own power and try to play God in my own life so that all I know can be preserved for my own narrow interest. I must admit, I must admit that I am not always faithful in seeking out God's plan for my life for boldly going where God wants me to go because sometimes I don't always know or trust where God is calling me to. And not knowing, I must admit, makes me feel uncomfortable. 
In fact, when I think about my biggest spiritual struggles and my biggest spiritual breakdowns I've had in life, they've occurred because I couldn't control the outcome or see where God was taking me or control God with whom I placed my trust to do what I wanted to do to protect my narrow interests. Likewise, the biggest spiritual breakthroughs that I've had in my life have happened because I couldn't control the outcome or see where God was taking me or control God with whom I placed my trust to do what I wanted to do to protect my narrow interests. Yes, I must admit that I am always tempted I am always tempted by this human condition to take the path of least resistance and stay in a place that's safe and comfortable and never go beyond the walls of familiarity to lean into the mysterious life-giving promise of God to never leave that familiar place to go to the life-giving promise of God because I don't know the outcome. However, however, this one thing I do know, that if I'm going to be all that God is calling me to be, if I'm going to be all that God is calling me to be, it means that I am going to have to leave that safe place. It means that I'm going to have to leave that safe nest and that I'm going to have to spread my wings and risk either falling or flying, but I must leave the nest if I'm going to pursue and be all that God has created me to be. Because God, because God is calling me, because God is calling me and always calls all of us out of our narrow interests so that God's presence can be made known in our gifts. Likewise, Likewise, if we are going to be the church that God is calling us to be, then it is important that we leave our comfortable place and go boldly where God is calling us to go. And if we're going to be all that, all that God has called us to be and if we're going to be individually all that God has called us to be, then it means that we have to leave those places of comfort to take the road less traveled, to go to the place and the promise where God is taking us to so that we and those around us may have a more, more wholehearted relationship with God and with each other. I say this. I say this because our world is in need of our loving and, of, of our loving and prophetic presence so that God's presence can be made known in the world. So we can't afford to stay in our comfortable place, but we must boldly go. When citizens are choked out and shot and killed, we can't afford to stay in comfortable places because the world needs a faith that will boldly go. When police officers are shot in the line of duty, the world needs a faith that won't stay in a comfortable place but that will boldly go. When 50% of our marriages end in divorce, we can't afford to stay in a comfortable place because the world needs our faith 
to boldly go when over a million of our fellow brothers and sisters are incarcerated. We can't afford to stay in a comfortable place because the world needs a faith that will boldly go when we are increasingly talking at each other rather than talking to each other we can't afford to stay in a comfortable place because the world needs a faith that will boldly go when there are folks starving and homeless we can't afford to stay in a comfortable place because the world needs a place the world needs a faith that will boldly go. And when our kids struggle with addiction and, and depression and aimless living, we can't afford to stay in a comfortable place. But we have to have a faith that will call us to boldly go. When a world is so desperately, so desperately looking for stuff to satisfy the deepest longings of its spiritual needs, we can't afford to stay in a comfortable place because the world needs a faith that will boldly go. So, so the question, there's always a question from the preacher, right? There's a question. So the question for us as we end this year, as we've gotten done with, with Christmas and our celebration, and as we, we come now to the end of this year and as we will begin the new year, the question for us is, how do we, how do we step into the promise of God? Or how do we live out that promise? How do we move ourselves in a way that we can boldly go and step into the promise of God? Well, the first thing that I think that we need to do and think, think that we need to know is that God can work through our bad history. God can work through our bad history. You all know that I'm the pastor for Celebrate Recovery, and I'm often saying that, and if you come on Thursday night, I'm often saying that for me as a pastor, I got more junk in my trunk. I get, I'm tore up from the floor up. I got skeletons in the closet. There is just all kind of stuff in my life, and I'm always amazed that God used me. It amazes me. And, I, and, and you know, when I, when I think about where I came from, there is no reason in the logical mind that I should be here. I remember when I, when I went back to my, my home, uh, went back to Kansas City where I was uh, in grade school, and uh, I remember I went back to go see my second grade teacher, and I walked in, and I knocked on the door, and she came to the door, and she saw me, and she said, Caesar Renty. And then she said, ooh, you were bad. <laughs> And I was looking at her, I was like, that wasn't bad. That was just creative energy. <laughs> but I always stand amazed that God has used me in ministry. God can use us regardless of our bad history. Jesus says this in Matthew 17 and 20. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I love this passage because it doesn't take a whole lot for God to use. All God needs is 
us to show up. All God needs us to do is to, to boldly come, regardless of our history. And if we look at this passage, if we look and take a, take a look at the passage that we just read, 11 chapters before we get to this chapter, it was bad history. And here, all of a sudden, God breaks out onto the scene and he meets Abraham and he calls Abraham out to go into this promise. If God can use Abraham, then certainly God can use you. And if God can use me, I know God can use you. I love the prayer that we do on Thursday nights, the serenity prayer. And I love what we pray every Thursday night. It says, we say this every Thursday night, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next I'm always hanging my hat on this one part in this scripture, trusting and trusting that Jesus will, that Jesus takes this sinful world as it is, not as he would have it, trusting that he will make all things right, that God takes the little bit that we have, that God can use us regardless of our bad history to make his presence known in the world. The second thing that we must do if we are going to step into this amazing promise, if we are going to go to this promise that God has called us to, we must be motivated by love and not controlled by fear. We must be motivated by love and not controlled by fear. I love this passage in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, and he puts it this way. He says it like this. God did not give us a spirit of fearfulness, but of power and love and self-control. In other words, when we exercise the discipline of love, we develop a sense of power or agency in our lives, and it helps us to overcome our fear. Fear is a powerful emotion, and it keeps us locked in a place of powerlessness. But if we're going to overcome the fear that we have in our lives, then it means that we have to be motivated we have to be motivated by love. We have to be motivated by love. And I'm not talking about the sentimental kind of love that we know, the love stories and all of those types of things. But I'm talking about a love that is grounded in agape love, a love that is generated by God, a love that is, is grounded in not, not what we can do for God, but a love that is grounded in who we are to God. I love Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s description of what he says and what he, what, how he describes agape in a sermon that he preached on loving your enemies. And he preached this sermon uh, November 17, 1957, and this is what he says about agape. He said, agape is understanding, creative, redemptive, goodwill for all men. It is a love that seeks nothing in return. It is an overflowing love. It is what theologians would call the love of God working in the lives of man. 
And when you rise to love on this level, you begin to love men not because they are lovable, but because God loves them. I remember my youngest daughter when she was getting ready to, she, we, we tried to teach both of our kids to swim. And, and I remember she was getting ready to swim and we went to the local YMCA. And, and Chloe, unlike Kara, Kara, she, you know, she just jumped in the water and she, she loved it. Chloe was a little bit more hesitant. She was like, you know, she had to test it out to see if everything was going to be all right. And I remember uh, the instructor told all the parents, you know, get into the pool first. And so we all jumped into the pool. And then, and then they, they put our kids at the edge of the pool, and then they called us to, to you know, to tell us to call our kids. And so we called our kids, and, and I was in the pool, and I said, come on, Chloe, come on, Chloe, you can come to the water. And, and, and I was standing out in the water, and she would never come Close. She just stand there, like shaking her head and pigtails, like, "No, nah, I ain't coming." And then I remember I said, "Well, then I, I put my hands, you know, outside the water, closer to the to the edge of the pool." And so she walked up to the edge of the pool, and then she got in my arms, and then I pulled her into the water. And then I said, "You're okay. I got you." And then I put her back out there again, and then I moved back a little bit, and I said, come on, Chloe, come on, Chloe. And she walked up to the edge of the pool, and then I met her halfway, and I grabbed her, and I pulled her into my arms, and I said, I got you. And then I put her back at the end, and then they told us to do it again. And before I could put my hand, Chloe came running straight to me and jumped in the water, and I grabbed her. Chloe was motivated motivated to take this risk because there was a love that was present for her, not for what she could do, but for who she was to me. Likewise, if we are going to boldly go where God is promising and, and go, boldly go to the promise where God is calling us to, it means that we truly have to be motivated by love. That's what Celebrate Recovery is all about. It's about getting people to love who they are regardless of the stuff that they have in their life. I say it all the time. I got junk in my trunk. I'm torn from the floor up. I got skeletons in the closet. I got more baggage than, than the mailman. And yet, I've come to understand this amazing truth that if I'm going to be all that God has called me to be, if I'm going to live within the promises that God has given to me, then it means that I have to be willing to accept this amazing truth that God loves me beyond measure, that he sent his only son to die that I might have life. If I am to understand and to walk boldly and not be controlled by fear, then it means that I have to be motivated by love more than I do fear. The third thing, the third thing that we will need to know is that we have to know that God can use us wherever we are you know, God can use us wherever we are. I love this passage in this reading because, you know, here God calls Abraham when he's 75 years old. 
You know, I mean, when, when you're 75 years old, you're not wanting to get up and move and go somewhere else. I don't want to do it at 50. I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's hard for me to get up and, and change directions. I, but here, you know, Abraham is 75 years old, and God calls him at 75 to use him. God can use us wherever we are. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. God can use you. I remember I used to get so frustrated with my grandmother because we didn't have a lot of material stuff, but she was always giving stuff away. She'd give our labor away. You going to go down there and cut Mrs. Ollie's grass? I used to hate it. I'm like, I don't want to cut Mrs. Ollie's grass. Mrs. Ollie can pay me, and then I cut her grass. She's like, no, you're going to cut that grass. I'm like, I don't want to cut it. You're going to cut that grass. I'm, I'm uh, you know, okay, I'm going to cut the grass. And I remember, you know, she was always giving our labor and she was always telling us to go and be a blessing to others, using whatever it was that we had to make God's presence known in the world. Wherever we are in our lives, wherever we are in our lives, God can use us wherever we are. No matter how big or how small our gifts are, no matter, no matter how insignificant we might think they are, God can use us wherever we are. Several weeks ago, I had the opportunity to, to go to, we had uh, Stephen Ministries here, and, um, and we got to celebrate people who had gone to the class, and they became uh, Stephen Ministers. And... Um, and as I was having conversations with, with people that had gone to the class and had become Stephen ministers, I had, I had had the opportunity to talk to one of the Stephen ministers who came to me, and she said, you know, she said, here I am, retired, and, and I, you know, I, I, I feel like an old lady, but I got to be a part of Stephen ministry, and I never thought God would be able to use me, but God is using me in this ministry. At my age, God is using me. And what God was saying to Abraham and what God is saying to all of us is that regardless of where we are in our lives, regardless of the resources that we have, God doesn't need a whole lot. God doesn't need a whole lot. He doesn't need a whole lot. What God needs is for us to walk boldly into the promise wherever we are in our lives. Finally, finally, my brothers and sisters, if we are going to walk boldly into this amazing promise that God is calling us to, if we're going to walk boldly into this promise, we need to know that God knows the whole story and that God has a plan for our whole life. That God knows the whole story and that God has a plan for our whole life. I love this passage that's found in Jeremiah 29 and 11. It says this. God says this. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. In other words, regardless of the situation, God has a plan in our lives, to always build a future and a promise in our lives, regardless of where we are. God has a hope and a future for where we are in our lives, and God always has a future in our lives. 
God is always calling us to, to this promise. God is always calling us to this promise because God's plan ultimately at the end of the day is about being in relationship with us. That God's plan is about being in relationship with us regardless of how bad our history is, about regardless of, of what little resources we, we have, regardless of how big our fear is, that ultimately at the end of the day, Ultimately, at the end of the day, God's plan is to have a relationship with us. And every time that we have a relationship with God, every time we have a relationship with God, we have new life. We not only have new life, but we have life more abundantly. Jesus says that I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Every time that we live and we lean into the promise, when we lean into the mystery of this promise, when we lean into this mystery of love and grace, when we live out our gifts and our talents, when we follow the path where God is calling us to, those paths always lead to life and life more abundantly. As thinking as I prepared this message, I was thinking about my own life and how God had called me. You know, I, I thought about, you know, when, when I was growing up, you know, both of my parents were deaf and we lived in Kansas City at one time. We lived in, in public housing. I remember my address, 1744 South 35th Street. I remember, you know, the struggles we had as a family. I remember, you know, all the things that had happened in my life when we were separated from my parents and we had to move to Texas to live with my grandmother. All the things that had happened in my life, I remember the personal struggles that I had, all the things that, that got in the way. I, I remember all the classes that I, all the, I, I always say I, I took all the special ed classes, all the special ed classes that I took, special reading, special writing, special arithmetic, a special case cereal in the morning. That's how special I was. <laughs> I remember all the struggles that that I had. I remember. I remember I, when I when when I when I played football, and then I I signed a letter of intent to go to the University of Oklahoma, and I played football for for OU and and played for the Sooners and Barry Swisher. I remember my first semester at OU, three C's and an F. I was doing real good. <laughs> I remember all the struggles and the internal doubts that I carried within myself. You know, should I be here? If they really knew who I was, they wouldn't want me on their team. You know, all of the conversations that you have in your head, all of those things that go on. And then I stand here today. I stand here today to preach a message about God's amazing grace, and I am so surprised <laughs> that God would use the little bit that I have, that use the little bit that I have so that God's presence would be made known in my life, but not only in my life, but in the life of all those around me. Several, several uh, two years ago, my daughter she graduated from high school, and I remember she, as she graduated from high school, she was trying to figure out where to go to college. 
And I, you know, I'm proud of all of my kids. You know, I, Dennis and Kara and Chloe. I, I think they have all amazing gifts. And you know, as a daddy, you just you get proud of your kids anyway. And you know, and I, I you know, I remember remember Kara as she was getting ready to graduate, trying to decide on what college to go to. I kept bringing OU stuff in there, going, "Hey, you." Want to try the Sooners? The Sooners is a great school. And she was throwing that to the side. And she was looking at different schools. And Kara's really, really bright. She did really good on the SAT. And she wanted to go to, to really good schools. So she started looking at schools. She looked at Baylor, looked at SMU, looked at, looked at TCU. And then she, then she looked at Spelman. And she looked at Howard. And she looked at uh, Berkeley. And she looked at USC. And she looked at Stanford. And we went to all of those schools, and I still tried to get her to go to OU, but it wasn't working. <laughs> and we went out to the West Coast, and we went to USC, and then uh, she liked it a little bit. And then we went to Berkeley, and she was like, yeah, okay. And then we got to Stanford, and she was like, oh, I'm in love. And I remember as we went through the tour on Stanford and we walked across the campus and, and we came back and we sat down and, and they started giving us all the paperwork and, and we started looking at all the, how much it was going to cost to go to school. I started looking at it and I was like, ooh, I'm going to have to preach a few more sermons and wash a few more dishes to get you in school here. I remember Kara, you know, we, we kind of share the same thing, kind of practical and all that stuff. And so as letters started, letters of acceptance started coming in, she got some, she got some surefire stuff from all these universities. And she got, a, she got a letter from Howard that said they wanted to give her a full scholarship. And she was excited about that. But I could tell that her heart just was not there. I remember saying to Kara, I said, Kara, where do you want to go? And she was like, I want to go to Stanford. And I said, Kara, I said, then if you want to go to Stanford, let's apply. And she was like, but, Daddy, you can't afford to pay for Stanford. It's 53000 a year to go. And I kept telling her, if that's where God wants you to go, then God will provide. And she was like, sure, that's what you say. <laughs> and I said, tell you what, I said, let's, let's just try it. I said, I'll give you my credit card. It's $200 to apply. She said, but what if I don't go? And I said, then we'll know the answer. I said, but let's just apply, and then we'll see. And so she, she applied, and, and we, got the, we got a couple of weeks later, she got a letter in the mail, and then she sent me a text, and she said, check your email. And so I went, and I looked at the email, and and I looked, and it said, congratulations, Kara, you have been accepted to Stanford. And I was like, wow. And then I looked down on the bottom, and it said, cost 53000 a year. And I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then below that, it said, full scholarship, 63000 a year. I read that letter and tears came to my eyes and I began to think about my own story. I began to think about the little boy that I was who had two deaf parents. I think about the times that we didn't have enough to eat. I thought about all the times that I struggled in school. I thought about all the times that I had, had struggled to, 
maintain some balance in my life. I thought about all the times that I tried to be faithful to the call that God had placed in my life. I thought about all the times that I had doubted the promise of God. I thought about all of that stuff, and here I stood in this place. And I thought about all that stuff, and I said, God, only you knew. Only you knew. I don't know what it is that you face in your life. I don't know the promise that God is calling you to, and I don't know the doubt that you're dealing with in claiming that promise. But here's what I want to say to you, that God has amazing love, that God has amazing and radical love that absorbs all of our bad history, all of our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups, and it always leads us to new life. It always leads us to new life. My hope, my hope for us, my hope for us as we, as we get ready, as we get ready to evaluate, I, I think it's an important thing that we evaluate where we've been and where we're going. As we get ready to evaluate where we want to be in our relationship with God and with each other, that we will come to know that God is with us, that God is with each one of us, and that his promise always, always leads to life. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your amazing grace that meets us here in this holy place. God, we pray. We pray that as we leave this place. We pray that as we reflect on the years past and the new year that will be coming, we pray that as we reflect on the promise that you are calling us to, that you would help us to boldly go, to boldly